Hello, and welcome to the TID Water and Power Podcast. I'm your host, Constance Anderson, and on this month's episode, I'm joined by TID Trading and Scheduling Department Manager, Bill Baca, to discuss where your power comes from. When you think of the power in your home or business, you may think of just flipping on a light switch. Or maybe you think of the poles and power lines throughout TID's service area. But do you know where your power really comes from? Today we'll discuss how the district leverages its generation facilities and purchases power to maintain our power grid and meet the needs of our customers. Thanks for joining us, Bill. You're welcome. Why don't we start by uh, having you tell us a little bit about your history with the district and the previous roles that you've held at TID. Okay. Well, I came to the district in uh, 1989 and I started out uh, in electrical engineering as an engineering technician. And I worked primarily on standards, both construction standards and material standards. And I was in that area for 11 years before coming to the marketing department. And back then, uh, we had one marketer. He did dayhead activities, meaning on Monday he would make plans for Tuesday. At that time, they decided we need a, what we call an hour ahead team. And I was one of three original staff members selected for that position. I've been there for, gosh, 20 years now. Perfect. Now, when you say the marketing team, I think a lot of people might think of like marketing and advertising. Tell us what, what marketing means in this case. So marketing in this case is uh, we need to either buy some power or sell some power. Our job is to make sure we have enough energy to meet the demands of the customers. And we do this 24 hours a day. We actually put together 24 individual schedules for each day. Each hour has its own schedule. And so we market by going out and buying power if we need more. Or if we have excess generation, we can sell power. And that's the marketing. Okay. The market for each hour of each day. Yes. Very good. Okay. Now, I think during this time when you were one of the original three schedulers for the hour ahead market, you earned yourself a nickname. Is that right? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. I was known as the million dollar man. And why is that? It was during that uh, uh, crisis back in the early uh, 2000s. And with all the rolling blackouts, and we were purchasing uh, vast amounts of power in the Northwest and moving it down to the uh, California, Arizona border. And I did a, a million dollars worth of transactions in one day. Wow. That is a lot of power moving uh, a around. A lot of power flowing. Okay. All right. So then from there, um, what was your next role with the district? Well, I started out as we called them schedulers. Uh, then we've, we've changed the title to trader. But I went from uh, scheduler to the role of principal scheduler, overseeing the training activities. And then I promoted up to division manager. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I was promoted again to department manager. Wonderful. That's a, a fascinating progression. It is. It is. I'm sure you've seen a lot in, in that time. Yes. Yes. Very good. Okay, so today TID serves more than 100,000 electrical accounts in a 662 square mile area, providing safe, reliable, and affordable electricity to homes, farms, and businesses. A lot of people don't know that TID is also one of only four irrigation districts in California that provides both water and power. So before we get into where the power comes from today, I thought it'd be good to offer a little bit of background as to how TID even got into the electric business. So TID um, was founded in 1887 as the first irrigation district in California, but the district didn't enter the retail 
electric service industry until 1923 after the construction of Old Don Pedro. And at that time, a vote of the people determined that TID would enter the retail electric business rather than sell power from Don Pedro's powerhouse at wholesale. And when we're talking about power, Bill, what does it what does it mean to sell power retail versus wholesale? So when we're talking about retail power, we're talking about the, the power that is distributed to your home and you get a monthly bill for it. Uh, my group actually does wholesale. We buy, for instance, uh, you've got a hundred watt light bulb. Your bill at home is in kilowatts. We buy megawatts, millions of watts. And we buy from other large companies, uh, Pacific Northwest, California, ISO, people like that. That's wholesale. Very good. So at this time now, TID is actually in both the retail and wholesale business. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Okay. So the district, when the district first began in the electric retail business, they started with 400 electric accounts. Two months after that, that had bumped up to 600 customers. And by the end of that first year, 1924, they had 3,220 customers. And then also in that year, 1924, uh, came the addition of the LaGrange powerhouse that was added to TID's generation portfolio. Now, at the time, multiple private power companies, including PG&E, were operating in the area. But by 1928, PG&E only had 21 customers in Turlock and eventually sold its distribution system to the district in 1931. The district was able to meet the energy demands of its customers using the generation from Old Don Pedro and LaGrange until 1947, when it began purchasing additional power, signaling the need for more generation facilities. The next generation facility to come online was New Don Pedro in 1971. The new powerhouse was originally constructed with three generation units, and after a fourth unit was added in 1989. The powerhouse can now generate up to 203 megawatts of clean, carbon-free energy. So how did this increase in generation capability change how the district met the needs of its customers? During certain portions of the year, it added a tremendous amount of flexibility and generation capacity. So we had to buy less, but it doesn't run all year uh, at maximum generation. The uh, first obligation with Don Pedro is to meet the river requirement. So if I were to describe how the water flows, it flows from Don Pedro, uh, a very large lake, down to LaGrange. And at LaGrange, it can be diverted uh, three different directions. One is down a canal to Modesto Reservoir on the Modesto Irrigation District side. One, uh, the method is to go down a canal to uh, Turlock Lake on the TID side. And then it can also be diverted to the river, the Tuolumne River. That is an extremely high priority for us to meet that river requirement. And we actually work with our hydrologists here at uh, TID, and they tell us how much water to flow. And there's a, a direct relationship between how many megawatts you generate and how much water comes out of that dam. So we can now meet the river requirement uh, with generation and collect some revenue. And then we can also move water down to Turlock Lake where the water is stored until it's needed for irrigation. Of course, irrigation doesn't run all year. And when irrigation stops, we severely limit the Don Pedro generation. Okay, so Don Pedro then clearly remains an, an integral part of TID's overall portfolio and supports the district's sustainability goals. Isn't Absolutely. that right? Absolutely. So um, Don Pedro, by definition, according to the state, is not considered renewable. But the, the smaller hydros are, and I guess if I were to describe those to you, 
as that water comes out of Don Pedro, it went to Lagrange, and you, you mentioned the Lagrange generating facility. And so as the water goes down to the to the river, we can actually generate there, and that's a very small generating facility, and it does qualify as renewable. The water then goes down to Turlock Lake, and as we release from Turlock Lake for irrigation, there are three small generators at Turlock Lake, and those are renewable. And then the last uh, generator on the canal system is at Hickman, and again, a very small generator, but it's considered renewable. But it just shows that as we're moving water through the system, we have multiple opportunities to for beneficial use of that water to yes. capture that for generation purposes. For generation and to, to meet the new requirements. Okay, so as we continue down the TID generation timeline, if you will, the next the district added natural gas facilities, which first came online in 1987. Can you tell us about those? Sure. Uh, the first one was the uh, walnut uh, gas turbine, we call it, the power plant. And there are actually two units out there. Each unit can produce about 25 megawatts. These are, are small units, but they're very robust units, and they were meant to start quickly. They're, we actually call them quick start units. And uh, they can run for long periods of time. We can shut them off quickly and turn around, turn them right back on. They're also uh, a little bit more on the expensive side to operate, so they become usually our last resort. But they are, we actually call them peakers. If you were to follow the load, uh, customer usage picks up uh, in the late afternoon, evening. And during that peak time, that's when you find the, the gas turbines coming online. Great. And given their ability to start so quickly, you can turn them on when you need them, use them for a short time, and then back them off again. Correct. Correct. Great. And also one of the requirements, so we're talking marketing, but as we market, we absolutely look at reliability. And there are reliability requirements that we have energy in reserve. We actually call them reserve requirements. The gas turbines, because they're quick start, can help meet the reserve requirements. All right. So then after Walnut Power Plant, what came next? Uh, we constructed the Almond Power Plant, and this unit can produce about 48 megawatts. It is not a quick start unit. It actually takes about an hour and a half to get that unit online. So it doesn't meet the uh, reliability requirement or the reserve requirement. And because of its complexity, when we turn it off, we leave it off for uh, a much longer time. We're talking hours rather than just turn around, turn it right back on again. Okay. So between the two, that's adding nearly 100 megawatts um, to TID's generation. Correct. How did that change the operations at TID? The biggest change was really just the flexibility. Uh, we are now in a position to buy less power. And the units uh, have a range, an operating range. Almond, for instance, can go from 16 megawatts to 48 or any one megawatt increment in between. So we've got great flexibility on, on how we dispatch the units. In 2003, TID purchased a 225 square mile electric service area from PG&E that included the city of Patterson. Obviously, this increased electric demand within TID's service area. How much did that impact load and what did TID do to meet this new demand? Actually, it uh, was not as big of an uh, increase in demand as, as one would think. It's a relatively small service territory. The, the square mileage is great, but the population wasn't that great. Uh, really, for us, it looked just like a, another increase in load, for instance, from a, a winter day to a summer day. We can see quite a, a change in load across the, the two seasons. And this looked really pretty much just like a seasonal change. And in a very short time, it just simply became part of our load. Interesting. All right. All right, then moving on to 2006, TID completed the Walnut Energy Center, or what we 
commonly referred to as WEC. Uh, it's another natural gas power plant uh, with a generation capacity of 250 megawatts. Uh, what role does WEC play in the current operations of the district? WEC is, is actually the mainstay of our operations. Uh, it's a very uh, large unit for us. 250 megawatts is, is a significant size. It's a very reliable unit and, again, has tremendous flexibility. It's actually two plants. We look at it as half a plant or full plant, so we can run 125 megawatts or up to 250. So we have great flexibility with that plant. Okay. And you were in training and scheduling at the time when WEC came online. How did the addition of WEC change your role? Uh, a fairly significant change. At that time, we really didn't need 250 megawatts. So the, we have a uh, resource planning group. And what they had done, they had entered a contract with a third party. And the contract is actually called a, a call option. So this company would call us every morning and decide if they want to call on that option or not. And so that added some complexity working with a, with a third party. And then also this plant it takes about five hours to come online. And when you turn this plant off, you leave it off for at least a day. So there's a fairly steep learning curve, uh, learning to work with, a, work with a big plant like that and with a third party vendor. Absolutely. So if WEC was originally built for really double what the district needed at that time, they were really considering what future load might look like uh, and, and building for that, that future generation. Absolutely. That, that resource uh, planning group that I mentioned, they're looking years ahead of time. Okay. So how important are the natural gas facilities in providing reliable power for TID customers? They're extremely uh, important. They're, first of all, they're actually very economical. Uh, we survey the market every day, every hour, and try and find something that we can buy to replace that and shut that plant down. Very often, that is the plant of choice economically. Also, these plants are very reliable plants. The, the most difficult part of those plants is actually starting them. If you're going to have a problem, it'll be when it starts. Other than that, they are extremely reliable. And you can imagine uh, up to 250 megawatts, up to 48 megawatts on the other one. With the operating range, we have tremendous flexibility. Wonderful. Okay, so shortly after WEC, uh, TID became early adopters of renewables, starting with the Tuolumne Wind Project. Is that right? That's right. Great. So operation of the Tuolumne Wind Project began in May of 2009, and that's located up in Washington? Washington, yep, on the border at the Columbia River. Great. Uh, and what, uh, what is the generating capacity of the Tuolumne Wind Project? Well, there are actually 62 uh, turbines. Two different manufacturers, and one of them can produce one turbine, can produce two megawatts. The other manufacturers, 2.3 megawatts. So some complexity in, in doing the math, which one is, is running at what uh, capacity. The total capacity is uh, 136.6 megawatts if the wind is blowing just right. And this is, as we said, 2009. And that was really before there were any state mandates on renewable power. Correct. So Correct. again, TID was kind of ahead of the curve yep. at that point. Yes. All right. So kind of seems like an obvious question, but if the wind's not blowing, there's no generation. So how do you balance renewables like wind power when you're planning for the demands of customers? That, that became one of the, uh, the steep learning curves of this plant. Uh, we forecast the wind and we actually use a third party to forecast our wind. And there's a direct relationship between wind velocity and generation at a turbine. And so we take that forecast and the forecast is 100 megawatts, for instance. We decide to bring some of that to Turlock and sell some to a third party. And this is, again, hour by hour. And then the wind doesn't blow like we thought it would. And the plant is only generating 80 megawatts. 
Well, to balance that, we've actually entered a contract with a third party that has a generator that is able to increase when we're not generating enough, or they're able to back down their generation when we're over-generating. But even then, there, there are limits to that. If they generate up to the, their maximum, they can actually direct us to curtail the energy, which means that megawatt that's flowing to Turlock is no longer flowing to Turlock, and we back it up with one of those uh, very reliable, very flexible uh, gas-fired plants. All right, so we're generating renewable wind energy in the Northwest. How do we get that power here to the TID service area? So you, you've probably seen the transmission lines, the, the big uh, metal towers, and they've got uh, very large wires, and you see them along the freeway running uh, north and south. That's actually known as the, the COI, the COI, California, Oregon, Intertie. And it really does. It, it ties the two states together. And TID uh, has rights to that transmission line. And so we wheel the power down that transmission line to Turlock. Okay, great. And then within our service territory, we have an additional 360 miles of transmission lines. And then we also have 2,282 miles of distribution lines. What, what is the difference between a transmission line and a distribution line? So when we, we transmit energy, we're talking about at very high voltages. And voltage in the electric world is equal to water pressure at home. So the higher the voltage, the more pressure to move that energy long distances. And as we get closer and closer to Turlock, we bring that voltage down, decreasing the pressure. And at some point, we reduce it enough that it becomes usable uh, to the customer. From the time we go to what we call 12,000 volts down, that's the, the wires you see running along the street and in the alleyways. Okay. And that's the distribution line. That's the distribution. Okay. Very good. What other generation facilities does TID own and operate? So in 2012, we added what we call the Almond 2 power plant. And it really is three additional Almond units. And they're significantly different from that first Almond unit that we talked about. These three units uh, have a capacity of 54 megawatts, so a larger capacity. And they are also considered quick start units. So they help meet that reserve requirement. Okay. And renewables continue to be a priority for TID. Um, what additional renewables have we added to our portfolio? So what we added in that case uh, was the Rosamont uh, solar plant. It really doesn't support us uh, electrically as far as serving customers. What it does, it helps us meet the, the mandate for clean power. It's actually located in the, the Lancaster area. And because we don't have the transmission to bring that power to Turlock, we actually sell that power directly out of the plant to the California ISO. Okay. So looking at everything that TID has in its, in its current generation portfolio, what do you see as the future for power supply for the district? I think those gas-fired plants will, will certainly be a part of the mix for at least the next five years. I think we'll see a shift in... Uh, the amount of energy that we generate and the time frame during the day that we generate, but they'll certainly be a part of the mix. I envision that we'll enter more uh, contracts for renewable energy, both to receive the credits that are required and also to bring renewable power to the district to distribute. Uh, I think that one of the things we might see is battery storage coming to the district, and that'll be a brand new technology that we'll have to learn all about. Definitely an exciting future opportunity. Very exciting. 
Right. All right. So you've mentioned a couple times uh, the importance of reliability and how it's TID's mission to reliably deliver power to our customers. And that's one of the key components of TID's decision to become a balancing authority. Is that right? Absolutely. And what what does it actually mean to be a balancing authority? So as the balancing authority, it is solely our responsibility to make sure we have enough generation and or purchases to meet the demand. We don't rely on anybody else to meet that obligation. And then the unique thing about, uh, well, one of the unique things about TID acting as a balancing authority is that we are one of only seven in California that operates independently within the Western United States power grid. Yes. And I I think we're probably the smallest. Okay. Small, but mighty. (laughs) Exactly. Very good. Okay. So um, we became a balancing authority in 2005. And what kind of spurred that decision? I believe it was the energy crisis uh, in the early 2000s. And from that, uh, several requirements came out concerning resource adequacy, adequate reserves. And there were even some pricing decisions that came out of that, putting caps on how much you could charge for energy. And that led us to start discussing who is going to operate our system. And TID decided we're much better at operating our own system than anybody else. Very good. So as a balancing authority, then we kind of have the opportunity to call the shots on our generation operations, yes. um, maintenance, planned outages, those yes, sorts of things. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. All right. So then let me ask uh, again, in becoming a balancing authority, how did that impact your role at the district at the time? Well, at that time, the reserves actually became uh, a much higher uh, priority for us. So again, we began to dispatch our units in a different manner, always making sure we met that reserve requirement. Okay. And then looking back on, on your whole career at the district, um, how has your role changed from, from the beginning to the end? Well, my role specifically changed from actually sitting on the desk and, and we're a, a 24-7 shop. We have somebody on the desk uh, every hour of every day. And so I, I went from working the desk to doing a lot of the training and actually overseeing the entire operation now. Very good. So let's let's get into that a little bit more. The specific area that you're in charge of is trading and scheduling. Yes. And honestly, it's one of the most fascinating functions that takes place at TID and one that most people don't even know exists. Uh, what does trading and scheduling actually do? Tell us more about that. Well, we start out by figuring out how much energy our customers need for tomorrow. That's called the day ahead operation. And, and we do that by looking at uh, weather trends. If I can forecast the weather for tomorrow accurately, and if I can find weather in the past that that is uh, very similar, I can very accurately figure out how much energy people are going to use hour by hour. Uh, We're creatures of habit. We turn our air conditioners on at the the same temperature. We turn our stove on at the same hour of every evening. And so we can be very accurate uh, based on weather. And that is the the primary uh, factor in loads is weather. We also look at the day of the week uh, for a similar temperature across a Wednesday or a Saturday, a Saturday would be a a lower load. And so we take all of that in consideration to figure out how much energy we need to have available hour by hour for our customers. Then we look at the resources that are available. Uh, There are some units that we call must run. For instance, we, we have to make sure we meet that river requirement. And if it's summer, we need to make sure we have enough water flowing into Turlock Lake. So that Don Pedro becomes a must run. So we factor that in. Part of this uh, requirement 
reliability requirement is we have to have a unit in what we call automatic generation control, AGC. For example, we forecast the load at 300 megawatts. I've got everything set up and the load comes in at 310. What do we do? We have a unit that will automatically increase 10 megawatts to meet that. So we figure which one of our units do we want to be the AGC, the automatic generation control unit. We put that in our portfolio. We actually have, we talked about that resource planning group. They've actually gone out ahead of us, months ahead, and uh, bought contract energy. And while we don't have to bring that energy to Turlock to serve our customers, we have to do something with it. If we don't bring it to Turlock, we have to find somebody to buy it. And so we buy the power from company A, wheel it through us to company B. We also have engineering requirements that we review every day. The engineers look at any outages on the system, a transformer that's going to be out of service, uh, some wires that are going to need to be replaced. And as a result, they come up with uh, generating requirements. And for instance, they may say at loads of 300 megawatts, you must run the almond generator at 25. So that goes into our mix. From there, then we serve, survey the market. I know what generation I have to run. I, I know uh, what I'm doing for water. And then I get to choose, do I add more generation or do I buy power? We also have the option, uh, we talked about the flexibility. So the unit's 250 megawatts, I only need 200. I've got 50 megawatts I can sell to somebody. And so we do both buys and sells on that day head market. Wow. A, a word that you used earlier in the podcast was complexity. And yes. my head is spinning <laughs> right now with the complexity that you have just described. But it is exciting. It definitely is exciting. <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing, truly. Okay. So you talked about um, generating energy. You talked about buying and selling energy. Is there ever a time when TID would both use our own generation facilities and, and use that power locally, as well as buy power from outside resources? And would there ever be a situation in which we were generating and buying power using some of that for ourselves and then selling some of that at the same time. Absolutely. I'm trying Absolutely. to fall. I'm trying yep. to, to match you in complexity. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Yeah. We, we actually do that very often. Uh, we bring that contract energy home and we can also buy what we call the, the spot market. That's where we buy in that very day for tomorrow. And we can buy up in the Northwest. We actually buy energy from uh, Seattle city light, Puget sound, uh, Portland, so we can buy power from any of those companies. And because of the, the nature of the hydro generation in the Northwest, oftentimes there are parts of the year where energy is uh, very inexpensive up there. And so we can buy that, bring it down our transmission lines and use it to both serve our load and also sell excess to uh, local counterparties. Okay. Hence earning some people the nickname, the million dollar man. Exactly. <laughs> very good. Okay. So in your group, uh, and we've kind of touched on this, but there are uh, purchase power agreements that are are ironed out months in advance. Yes. Then there are folks in your shop who are monitoring weekly, daily, hourly, and every five minutes. Is that right? So we talked about the day ahead a lot, and then we go into the hour ahead, and we we do have somebody staffed every hour of the day, and they're looking at the next hour or two, and is the load increasing more than we thought? Is it decreasing? What opportunities do they have to make changes to what the day ahead trader did? And so that's our hour ahead market. And that is recently moved into what we call the five minute market, the, the energy imbalance market. So let's, let's 
touch on the energy imbalance market very quickly. The that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Yes, it could. And and spoiler alert: at some point, it probably will be. <laughs> um, but that's another tool in TID's power supply toolbox. Correct. Yes. yes. Great. And how do how do we use that? How do we take advantage of that? So it's actually an arrangement with the California ISO, and there are uh, many entities that have joined this. And what we do is we tell the ISO how much it costs to generate at various levels on all of our generators. And we give them a price signal. If they can find somebody, and it's all done by other people putting in their price signals, if they can find a generator that is less expensive than mine, then automatically they send that energy to me and they decrease. They send a signal to me to decrease my generator. It's all automated. And likewise, if uh, my generator is the cheaper generator and I've got room on it, they will send a signal to increase it and have somebody else decrease their generation. And that's a fully automated process. Fully automated. Great. That seems like it would come in very handy. Very. Okay. So your group, Trading and Scheduling, interacts with a lot of other departments around uh, the district. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about some of those interactions? Sure. Uh, we mentioned the hydrologist. Uh, so we're constantly working with the hydrology group, uh, talking about the reservoir level, conservation measures, the river requirement. We work with that resource planning group, looking at the monthly contracts that, that they're working on and even looking out uh, next year, what projects they're working on. We work very closely with the uh, power control center. The power control center is, uh, if you will, the final stop in reliability. If something were to happen right now at this moment, the power control center group takes action. They don't, they don't call trading and scheduling. They take care of it themselves. So we work very closely with them. Uh, we work with that uh, engineering group that does the daily study. Uh, we're part of the outage uh, coordination group. And quarterly, we all get together and talk about outages that are coming up. There, there's a, a lot of maintenance in a system like this. And it has to be coordinated very closely so that we don't have too many units out at one time. So when we do these uh, purchases of energy or sales of energy, that actually goes to the settlements team, which will then true up the, the bills. Very good. And I want to I want to backtrack to the outage management uh, team. So again, kind of reflecting on the the complexity of the system, there are a lot of balls in the air for that group and a lot of uh, factors that have to be considered Absolutely. when planning for an outage. Yes. Um, as you mentioned, it's not just the generation. Um, it could be for irrigation purposes or yes. um, what else goes into yeah. consideration we, we there? We do have maintenance on the canal system, so we can't run water from uh, Don Pedro down to Turlock Lake. We have to consider that. In that case, we may increase Turlock Lake more than normal so that when we have the outage, we still have sufficient water. Uh, we talk about transmission outages. We talk about uh, generation outages. Some of our generators, our Walnut uh, Energy Center, the very large plant, the 250 megawatt plant, that'll go out for a month at a time for maintenance. And we take these outages uh, twice a year. These outages, we actually bring in contract labor on many of them. And so you're, you're trying to coordinate not only with TID personnel, but outside contractors, so that the timing becomes very critical. Last month, our service area experienced a significant heat wave. Tell me about the role you and your team play in a situation like that. Okay. Well, uh, the first thing to know is that we see these coming well in advance. We use the same weather forecasting that you might use at home. Weather.com, AccuWeather, Underground Weather, National Weather Service. 
and we take an average of all of them. And it's very clear to see that there's a heat wave coming. We talked about having water stored at Turlock Lake for irrigation. Before the heat wave actually arrives, we intentionally back down Turlock Lake so that we have a place to put extra water during the heat wave because we intend to increase our dump heater generation. So that was the first action that we took. We also then make sure that uh, we diversify any of our purchases. We don't buy from just one location in case there's an interruption. And in this particular case, we did have a significant interruption. So we diversify our purchases. We make sure that we get our units on uh, early. I mentioned that if a unit's going to have trouble, it'll be in startup. So we want to make sure we get it on well in advance of the time that we think we're going to need it most. And in this particular heat wave, um, there was an additional external factor, the fires that were taking place in Oregon that impacted the districts, um, not our generation necessarily, but moving that, transmitting that power down to our service area. Exactly. What did you guys do to compensate for that situation? Well, we, we had already scheduled 50 megawatts down that transmission line and it got derated. And so we only brought home 19 megawatts. And derated means? Means we're not allowed to, to move as much as we would like. We were limited to only 19 megawatts. And so what we did is we uh, increased our generation significantly. And we went out and we made some additional purchases locally. Okay. And then is there anything else um, specific to what happens here in TID operations that comes into play when we are faced with a heat wave like that? Well, everybody's on high alert. We actually put out uh, a no maintenance order. So any routine maintenance that was scheduled is canceled. And uh, we did in this particular case, we turned on one of the walnut gas turbines uh, extremely early in the day. Again, preparing for the, the contingencies that uh, we thought would come that in fact did come. So we, we were well prepared for that. So ultimately, despite all of the challenges in this particular heat wave, uh, TID was able to reliably meet the needs of our customers and really outside of TID encouraging customers to do their part to help conserve energy because of the incredible work of you and the TID team, customers really weren't any the wiser that the district was facing these challenges. Correct. Correct. We did not have an outage. That is pretty impressive. Well, Bill, I'm so appreciative to you for sitting down with us today at, to help educate us on where our power comes from. And I think it's especially timely that we have you sit down with us when we did, because you're headed towards a very important milestone. Is that right? I am. I am retiring at the end of September. Wow. Well, well earned, sir. Well, thank you. Um, Bill, the experience and the knowledge and the mentorship that you have provided for TID is truly irreplaceable. Thank we you. thank you for your time today, and we thank you for 32 years of brilliance. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the TID Water and Power Podcast. You can find TID on Facebook at facebook.com slash TurlockID, on Instagram and Twitter at TurlockID, and on LinkedIn as the Turlock Irrigation District. I'm your host, Constance Anderson. We'll see you again next time.